welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everybody? This is the OCR Underground, and welcome to episode number 45. Thank you so much for tuning in today and making this a resource for your OCR training needs. Every episode that I put out, I do my best to give you some high-quality tips and strategies to just train a little bit smarter, see a little bit more improvements in your in your training, training progress, and this week is going to be no different. Well, I have to say I am a little extra excited today. This weekend is going to be the first Spartan race of the year, and I'm definitely going to be out there for both the super and the sprint. Really excited to see what's new this year. I know we have the the new age group category. Actually, I'm going to be running in that and check it out, see how that goes. And you never know what the uh, the course is going to be like in, in Chino, California, and if there's going to be new obstacles, the same obstacles. Is it going to be on the easier side, hard side? Who knows? It's, it's going to be fun to see what they turn out for us. So definitely looking forward to seeing that, and I will definitely give the recap after it's all over. Um, also want to mention, I have a, a new blog post and also a new video based on, based on the blog post on crawling, and I just find this topic really interesting, and you see so many different crawling variations and exercises out there, and, and a lot of them are awesome, and a lot of them aren't so good, and you really have to know really the why behind the exercise and that's why I wanted to put this video together and why I wanted to put this blog post together is because I think people just crawl to crawl because it kind of looks cool and you know yeah you crawl in a race and you're gonna have to get under that barbed wire or whatever it might be and sure there's that aspect of it but crawling is such a bigger movement than than just crawling on the ground to get under something and it really comes back to it's a developmental pattern right it's something that we hopefully all went through as infants where we first learned to to get around right we we crawled and, and this was actually preparing our bodies for that coordination of arm and leg movement so we could walk so we can run and it's amazing when we aren't crawling anymore and we get up and just walk around and do whatever we're doing we we lose those fundamental patterns and if you don't have that crawling pattern that crawling ability you'd be surprised how that will affect your, your gait mechanics, your running, your coordination, your stability, control, all of these things. So that's an easy assessment we can take somebody through is, hey, just get on the floor, even if it's just on all fours and crawl like a baby or, or bear crawl or something like that. And we can watch you move and see what's going on. And we can see what's the coordination look like. Can you move your arm and opposite leg at the same time? Do you synchronize that movement or is it kind of choppy? A lot of people, when we crawl, we actually see they can't go opposite arm, opposite leg, and they want to do their right arm, right leg, then left arm, left leg. And even when you tell them to do opposites, they have a really hard time figuring this out. And it's a great learning experience to really focus on that that cross-body pattern, right? It's going to be a great way to to stimulate our our brain, right, to get the the left brain and the right brain to communicate better. And and that will transfer over into bigger movements. And on top of the neurological aspect of, of crawling, which you may have never thought of before. There's also just the the benefit of that core stability with joint movement. 
And that's the idea, of course, stability, right? We, we keep a neutral spine and we create movement in the arms and legs. And a lot of people, when we watch them crawl, this, this basic pattern, they can't do that. We see their hips sway side to side. Um, we see they don't have the strength to hold themselves up in the upper body, lower body, core, whatever it might be. So uh, I go into a lot more detail in this blog post, in the video. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes for this episode, which, by the way, you can check out the, the show notes at www.ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 45 so definitely check it out where I talk a lot about these these crawling mistakes that most people make when we watch them crawl but more importantly I want you to not only be aware of uh, these these mistakes to have a plan how you can improve it so actually do a, a very simple progression you can go through to really get a to dial in that bear crawl so you can you can really take advantage of all you can out of that exercise my goal for this this year is actually to put a lot more videos and blog posts and Instagram and, and all that stuff. So I'll put a link to all of our different pages in the show notes as well. And I'd love it if you follow us and check out some of the, the material we put out. And if you have questions, comments, you can put them on there. If there's stuff you want us to get a little deeper dive into, I'm more than happy to do that. But again, check that all out in the show notes. Also, with the new year, I want to mention some of my upcoming events that I will be presenting at for any of the coaches or trainers that might be listening and happen to be in Dallas. I am going to be out in Dallas on February 10th doing a functional fitness workshop, a one-day event through exercise, etc. And also, I'll be doing the same workshop, that functional fitness workshop in L.A., on February 24th. So again, I'll put links in the show notes. If you're interested, you can check it out and also sign up right through there. Okay, to start off this episode, I, I have to go on a little rant. I apologize, but it's just something I see just too often, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna yell at maybe some of you out there. But and it has to do with asking for medical advice at online. And I know that sounds silly, right? We but we're probably all guilty of this a little bit, right? We have a little a rash or a little pain or something, and we go on Doctor Google and and try and find out what it is. And I'm not gonna say I've never done that before, but um, it's something that I just see way too often is going into Facebook groups and, and forums and posting, hey, my knee hurts. What do you guys do out there that can help me out with my knee? And that hopefully that sounds as ridiculous as it is. There is no way anybody in the world can answer you or, or help you out in that situation. Even if it was the most qualified person in the world, they have no clue what is going on at, at your knee or at your shoulder or whatever it might be. Our bodies are so complicated. Uh, the knee joint, for example, has so many different things it could be, right? Do you have a, a, a cyst developing? Do you have a, a meniscus tear? Is there something going on with your ACL, PCL, LCL, MCL? Um, is there inflammation, scar tissue, arthritis? All of these would require different treatments, different different therapies to to give to get you better. And there's no way somebody could diagnose that. And even if they knew, hey, I have arthritis or I have this this tear or whatever it might be. Nobody's going to know why you got it in the first place. And, you know, even if you give a lot of information, they don't know what your your running mechanics look like. They don't know what your exercise technique looks like. There's just so many different variables to come that come into place. And it it you know, it's, it's a pet peeve of mine when I see it out there. Somebody posting on Facebook. Hey, what would you guys do with for this? And and I hate I hate to be harsh, but it's just 
don't do this. It's it's going to drive people crazy that can help you if you're just randomly posting things like this. And uh, the simple answer is you need to go get it checked out. And that's I know it's a pain in the butt to go if you have to go through insurance or whatever it might be. But that's really the only answer that you should be seeing in here. Because every other piece of advice, I mean, you don't know, is it a 15-year-old kid who's just posting some random thing on there? You, you don't know where this, this uh, information is coming from or how qualified these people are. You might get totally lucky and somebody throws out something, hey, this stretch really helped me out. You try and it helps you out. Absolutely, it's gonna happen every once in a while. You're gonna get lucky, but what if that stretch actually makes it worse? And then, then what, right? Now you're in a deeper hole. So if you have an injury, I know it's it's the mentality of, hey, let's push through it. I'm gonna work around this and, and just get by it and, and do some stretches and foam rolling and, and see what happens. That might work, but if you want the fastest way to recovery, here's number one. Here's what you do. I hope you're listening. Take notes. If you have an injury or something is hurting you, number one, what you need to do is stop anything that is hurting it. <laughs> and I know that that sounds simple, and it is simple because if you're creating pain by doing something, it's not going to magically get better. And if it does, it's likely because you started to compensate and do something that you shouldn't be doing to take weight off or, or to avoid that pain. So if running hurts your knees, you need to, to take a break from running. I'm not saying you can never run again. I'm just saying right now, running isn't the best thing that you can do to get better. And by actually taking a couple weeks off from running, doing the right type of therapy, you can might get back right back onto running in a week or two, or maybe it's a couple weeks or a month. And all these injuries are, are going to be different. I'm not, again, I'm not saying you can't work out. I'm just saying if an activity is causing you pain, you got to do the right thing. If you want to get better quicker, you got to stop that activity, right? So if squats hurt your knees for right now, something's going on with your squat and you got to stop it. You might be able to do lunges, deadlifts, maybe something else. But if, if it's the squat that hurts you, stay away from that. Right. So sometimes we think we need to push through to get better and or we're just we have that fear that, hey, if I don't run, I'm going to lose all of my fitness. And sure, you are going to take a step back. But just think about it. Is it better to take a couple steps back and then get better and be able to hit it hard again and, and take 10 steps forward? Or you take these little baby steps forward and then a big step back and then little baby steps forward, big step back because you never are letting it heal. You're never letting it rest properly. So. Just wanted to get my rant over with, starting the year off right, and I want you guys to as well. So if you have an injury, number one, stop doing whatever hurts that. If it's your arm and it's bench press or pull-ups or push-ups, whatever, stop doing that for right now. Train what you can train. And then in the meantime, number two is you need to go get it diagnosed and you need to find out the best best path to take. And yes, I know this is hard. Hopefully you have somebody in your network that you can rely on to point you in the right direction to some type of, of therapist. And there are a million different therapists out there, a million different techniques, and and most of them work if you really stick with it. So um, you do have to experiment and, and play around and see what works best for, for you. So I'm going to put a couple links in the show notes again, just so you can check out some places to go. Uh, if you do have a, an injury, a medical issue that you need to get diagnosed, I'm a 
big fan of anybody who's certified through uh, SFMA, the Selective Functional uh, Movement Assessment, to really dive, dig deep and find what is the dysfunction, what is the pain, and where it's all coming from, and, and giving you the exercise protocol to fix it. So there's lots of therapists out there that practice this, and, and there are definitely other techniques out as well. So uh, I'll put a link in there where you can find somebody near you to get, get that checked out. Make sure you, you're doing the right things and then get back on your training program and, and get back to, to what you love to do. But um, if you don't take this step back, sometimes you, you're going to be sitting out a few races that you didn't want to. All right, my rant's over. Hopefully I didn't offend anybody, but sometimes you need that slap in the face to, to realize when you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. But, um, but let's jump into this week's episode. And in our research review, I'm going to talk all about grip strength. And obviously, this is going to be a huge thing for your training for any type of obstacle course race you might be doing. Uh, but I want to go over a really interesting research that looked at the different types of grip strength um, and how they might be or may not be correlated and really how you should assess your grip and, and what you should be doing specifically to improve that grip strength. And in our coach's corner, I have on SGX coach Bayo Audio out of Kansas, and we have a really great discussion on things like how to assess clients, uh, what he personally does with his, his clients, which assessments he does, and how and what he specifically assesses. We get into top running and endurance mistakes that he sees many people make. Uh, we also look at training to be uncomfortable, which is something that we don't always want to face, but he has some uh, great insight on how to make yourself a little bit uncomfortable and train for the unknown that you might see in an obstacle course race. He also touches a lot on breathing and how he incorporates uh, breath work into his training to help uh, improve performance, uh, which I'm personally a big fan of. So we've got some great discussions there. Uh, all this and plus a whole lot more in, in this week's interview. So definitely stick around. Okay, in our research review, we're going to talk all about grip strength. So obviously, this is a big topic, and we want to make sure we're maximizing grip training as best we can. And normally, when I do my research reviews, I look through peer-reviewed journals to find studies that I feel will be relevant for helping you out in your training. And this one, I actually just happen to find online, and it's not a—it's not from a peer-reviewed journal. It's—it's it's a blog post, and it's from Mountain Tactical Institute, and it was done in uh, 2015. And um, the reason I did it, I just thought this was really interesting. They, they basically wrote a blog post. And again, I'll put a link to the blog post in our uh, show notes. But they, uh, the title of the, the post was Grip Strength, Does It Matter How to Test It? And um, by Adam Scott. And what I thought was really cool was they were going through the different research on, on grip and practical applications. And they really weren't happy with the answers that they were finding. So they just decided to do their own study and they were really thorough. And um, I, I still think we get a lot of uh, information from this study, even though it was a small, small study of 17 people. And it uh, just... I just think it was really cool that, hey, they wanted to answer it, so they tested it themselves, and we can take a lot from this. While we look at, uh, I love reading journals and, and looking at what the research says, but sometimes we got to just go out there and do it and um, see what we find. So anyway, uh, really cool stuff here. But what they were looking at was, like I said, all the different studies, and they couldn't find all the ans answers that they were looking for for the practical application on, on testing and training different types of, of grip strength. So um, they decided to answer it themselves. And what they want to look at was the different types of grip. And we can kind of break it down into two categories. They, they 
uh, call it grip strength, which they refer to kind of squeezing, how hard you can squeeze something, and then um, grip endurance, which is how long you can hold on to something. So uh, what they did, like I said, they took 17 individuals, 13 male, four females, and they had them do three different tests on different days so they could recover in between. So they had them do a farmer's carry for time where they just held two kettlebells. Uh, men and women had different weights, and they just timed how long they could carry the weights. The, the distance covered, they didn't test. It was just the time here. They also had them do towel pull-ups where they just looped a, a towel over a pull-up bar and did as many reps as they could from a dead hang. And, and then finally, they did their uh, grip strength tests, kind of a, a traditional clinical test using a dynamometer, dynamometer um, where they just had their elbows at 90 degrees and they would just do a couple different trials, squeezing it as hard as they could, getting their reading off of that. So they had three different grip strength tests and they, they tested everybody and they wanted to see the, the different correlations between all three tests. And the really interesting thing that they found were there actually were no correlations between those tests. They didn't find that just because you had a harder squeeze that you could do more pull-ups or because you can carry... Um, do the farmer's carry for longer, you had a, a higher squeeze test. So uh, I just found that really interesting, but it, it, it does make a little bit of sense where these testings are, are looking at different things and they don't necessarily interrelate with each other. So what that shows us is we need to be specific with our grip training based on what we want to do. So if you're doing things where you need maximal squeezing and uh, a harder grip in that sense, more grip strength, then you need to do things where you are, you know, using a, a grip ball or, or clips or, um, you know, squeezing a bar very tight to improve that grip strength there. But just because you improve that doesn't mean you're going to be able to hang better and do something like monkey bars or pull-ups. So if you want to get better at those, you need to practice your grip strength from a hanging position. So squeezing a bar or doing monkey bars, hanging, things like that. Or just because you can hang for days doesn't mean you necessarily can carry a weight and have the grip strength for that. So what what I want you to leave from this, this uh, article was basically train your grip in different positions and test it in different positions. So are you doing some type of overhead grip? Are you doing some type of squeeze strength? Are you doing some type of carry? And I absolutely think you should test with those things like a farmer's carry or a hang and then do your training in those positions and see if it gets better. So a uh, really cool study. Again, I'll put a link to it so you can look at the details that they, all the numbers that they found from this study. But um, really train that grip, train it often and train it in different positions. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to our coaches interview. And this week, I am with Coach Bayo Adio. And uh, how how you doing today, Coach? I am doing great. How are you doing, sir? I am doing <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for joining me. And you know, it's kind of funny we were just talking a little bit before I pressed record, and we found out we have kind of a unique thing in common. And we were both high jumpers. That's pretty amazing. You don't get to meet a high jumper that often. I know that's really cool, and uh, and I hate to admit it, but I had to ask. And your your PR is half an inch higher than mine, so that's yep. pretty pretty awesome. Seven two and a half is is pretty yeah. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's let's start there. So um, you, so you're a track athlete. Let's let's talk about your path. So kind of how you got into track. Um, you know, just briefly talked about your success there and how that led to coaching and participating in obstacle horse racing. Yeah, so I didn't participate in a lot of 
organized sports as a kid. I was kind of I, I was kind of more of a nerd. Um, but I think I started playing a lot of street basketball. Um, and that kind of led me to kind of jumping on the basketball team at a local junior college. Um, but I think I was just recently, um, I was I was the one doing high-flying dunks and 360s and all types of stuff. And, and a track coach noticed that um, I could potentially be a good high jumper. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just, uh, it was cool, but it was not like, Oh, it's not basketball cool at back then to me. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's it's glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I ended up falling in love with track. Uh, but then, you know, it was just a scenario where uh, different guys wanted to get together, football guys, basketball guys, to try to get in shape for the off season. And you know, I just noticed that there was not there's just a lot of running. So I was more gravitated towards more of a high jump. I was naturally a little bit more talented at it. So that's what drew me to that. Um, but also, when college started coming around, um, and we were trying to figure out with my parents how to afford college, is I think when they noticed that you know track was I was a little bit better in track is when I started to focus on it so I can get an athletic scholarship to be able to afford college. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how that started. And then when I got to college, I just fell in love with it and I just went with it. So so that's kind of how that evolution started. Running has just kind of been a love-hate relationship <laughs> um, initially. But I do remember at some point wanting to challenge myself to run like, you know, a mile and then a 5K. So, yeah, there was a fear element of, uh, um, you know, the unknown. So I think it's the fear of the unknown that what made that was what made me intimidated by the Spartan obstacle course race. I watched the videos. I was like, man, I don't know how long this is going to be. I don't know what obstacles I'm going to come across. I don't know how hard this is going to be. So I think that fear element actually forced me to train and forced me to be consistent and eat well and do all the things that I needed to do. What, so I think, I did, yeah. Yeah, just sorry to interrupt. So uh, mm-hmm. what did that training go like your first time around? Because I, I always like to get that impression of other coaches where you don't really know what to expect, but you know you have to train. So kind of what went through your head planning for that first race? Yeah, it's funny. I think that's probably the most I've trained for a race okay. is the first race, <laughs> which is Because <laughs> um, I think after I've done it, I kind of look like, okay, I know what to expect now. Mm-hmm. But I think, honestly, um, it, it, it kind of transformed my thought process a little bit. So I think that training for the unknown is kind of, spread it into different parts of my life. But I think, so what I did was I trained for everything. So I was like, okay, well, I need to train for speed. I need to train for distance. I need to train grip strength. I need to train to lift heavy objects. I need to be ready for whatever comes across. I need to be mentally stronger. So whether it's taking ice baths, because I don't know if there's going to be cold water, just I need to do more heels. So that training was very, very interesting in the way that I used to train because you know, when I would run, I would avoid the hill path. I would, um, you know, I, you know, I would, I would take warm showers. And mm-hmm. now it's more like it's literally training to be uncomfortable, training to be comfortable, to be uncomfortable. So I think that's the biggest thing um, with training for that first race is just knowing that everything now is, you know, is I, I need to start actually attacking the things that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, I, th- I think that's perfect advice for most people because I think we're all, you, you all tend to be guilty of that where we like to take the least path of resistance where mm-hmm. we do what we're, we're comfortable with. We pick the exercises that we like or that we're good at, but sometimes taking that step back and thinking, 
I really don't want to do this right now, which is why I have to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's forced me to do many, many things out of my comfort zone. Like, you know, like if it's cold outside or if it's windy or, you know, snow, usually I'll be like, oh, no, I need to delay, you know, postpone that. So, yeah. So that's kind of what that training was like initially in the beginning. Awesome. So let's get back to uh, other than being high jumpers, we, we have something else in common, and that's that we weren't always the runner. And we kind of kind of what we're just talking about. I was picking things that didn't involve running. You know, that's that's kind of what mm-hmm. I wanted to gear towards. And that was probably my biggest resistance to getting into an obstacle course race was because uh-huh. I really didn't want to go run and put in that kind of training. But it was, you know, something I, I got hooked once I first did it and really got into it. Uh, so I'd love to hear your experience of going from kind of that non-runner, somebody just didn't really embrace running to somebody who knows the importance and, and just had to do it. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, for me, I, I had to just kind of pay attention to what was going on. So I read books and I tried to consult people. I think one of the biggest mistakes with people that's coming from my background or haven't ran before is that we tend to just want to go run fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, whenever whenever we want to go on a run. So I think one thing that I had to learn is to like take speed out of the equation when I'm starting out. So now I just started learning to train my body to with impact, learning to just train to go for a certain amount of time in the beginning, and then just paying attention to how relaxed I am. And I think those are the main things that I teach a lot of my clients, so I try to focus on when I was first starting. So the mistakes I made was just thinking I can just go out and just run. And then, you know, after like 400 meters, I was dead tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I think that's kind of the evolve if, if that's what I had to learn. Um, and then there's the breathing aspect. But I think at the end of the day, it's just running in a relaxed state as much as possible and then slowly building up your endurance um, and knowing that it's, you have to follow the process. So and, and that's perfect because we both have a similar background where, you know, we were athletic and we saw this challenge. And a lot of times you do want to just jump in head first and just you know, be like, kind of, like you said, wing it where I can figure this out and I'm just going to push as hard as I can. And I've been in Mm -hmm. that situation where you just sprint from the starting line and end Mm -hmm. of the race, you just, you just want (laughs) to completely collapse and you'll question whether you're even going to finish. And, and that's hard for some Uh, people to, uh and this is why, you know, working with a coach is so beneficial because they, sometimes what they do is hold you back and and put you on a path instead of sprinting. It's where we start here to get you there. Mm. So, uh, exactly, exactly. Definitely. Perfect. So I, I, I want to jump back on something you just, uh, you talked about, which is breathing. And that is something that it's probably not the sexiest topic out there, but it's such an important thing with, especially endurance training, but you know, really with everything we do. Uh, so I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, are there specific breathing exercises you do? Is it just something that you try and make yourself and your clients more aware of, or, or how does breathing come into all of this? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So my whole learning how to breathe came from a kind of an, a, a different background. So I actually didn't learn how to breathe better running. So I got into yoga a few years ago. So I think uh, taking the yoga classes, they talked a lot about breathing in and breathing out, especially when your muscles get tight or when you're holding like a, a downward dog pose for like a long time. So I think that made me more aware of breathing. But then with running, 
um, and I still teach my clients this a little bit. When I'm doing long runs, I pay attention to my breath. It's almost kind of what determines the cadence and speed that I do. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think most of the time, from a simplistic approach, I'm actually, when we talk about teaching breathing, I'm actually teaching clients to actually not hold their breath more than actual breathing exercises, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the times, um, a lot of them are almost holding their breath or they're letting their breath get out of control. So with meditation that I've done a few of, it's actually learning to let your body does what it does naturally. So to do what it does naturally. So I think it's just the awareness of paying attention to like, how is your body breathing? Is your heart rate going up? Does that mean you're going too fast? You need to slow down. And occasionally doing a check. And and when I do long runs with my clients, I always like them to try to see if they can have a conversation while running. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that means that they've learned how to kind of manage their breath or even be able to take a deep breath yeah. um, while they're doing some long runs. So I think those are the cues I'm always looking for with clients or while I'm running. And I think that's what taught me to learn how to breathe. I remember in the beginning, I would always try to sing while I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Uh, I, I, I love what you're saying here, because these are all great things. Like one from using your breath to measure intensity. That's that's actually something I personally do as well that, you know, I know a lot of our listeners love high intensity workouts and, and I do too, yes. but there's a time and place for that. And then there's a time and place right. for that low intensity and paying attention to your breath is a great way to kind of self monitor to know if you are pushing it too hard. Um, but yeah, that, that whole idea of, of holding your breath is such a big thing. And, um, again, there's a time and place for breath holds, but when you're holding that breath and that's a sign of stress, right? And now, yeah, like you said, your heart rate is going to jump up. We're going to have that adrenaline rush and our sympathetic nervous system is, is taking over and we may not want that at that moment. And then that's when, you know, give it five, 10 minutes and you're completely fatigued for really for unnecessary reasons. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I really try to. You know, I really try to teach clients to know the difference between a training system. So, you know, I'm like, okay, this is more of like a speed endurance type training. And this is more of like a long run cardiovascular type training. And we're training different energy systems. And sometimes it's more of an interval uh, fartlek type training. Mm -hmm. So I think once they've gotten used to like, okay, when I do this training, my breath is out of whack. I need more recovery time. And once they can learn that distinction, they'll be able to kind of know like, okay, this is more of a relaxed day. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cool. Well, Mm -hmm. let's kind of build off of that. So uh, breathing is going to be a big one, but what are some other common mistakes you see either your clients or maybe yourself uh, that you've gone through when training for an an OCR? You know what? My, the biggest mistake I continue to see over and over and over and over again, and, and which is like, um, the most simplest mistake, but and I can understand why. I think it's for is people are not getting enough running in. People are not building enough endurance before they go tackle an obstacle course mm-hmm. race. Um, so I think the misconception that people think is that since there's obstacles, they don't have to be in good endurance shape. They'll just kind of take a break while doing the obstacles. Yeah. Uh, so for beginners, they don't realize realize that the obstacles actually just doing one wall climb kind of shoots your heart rate up really high. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so I, I think that's honestly the biggest consistent mistake I see is that when people are crashed out on a course or they can't do obstacle, 
it's because they don't have the endurance to keep going rather than the technical skill or the strength that they think that they're lacking. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and it's it's interesting to see, like I'll talk to people and they'll they'll say like they did a course and it's like I, I couldn't climb the rope and I never, I could always climb a rope. That's that's like easy for me, but it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you couldn't climb it because you, were, you didn't have the endurance to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And that's... Yeah. Um, you know, as much as I don't want to admit it because I'm not a runner, uh, that is the key. Like, if you're a good runner, you are going to have an easier time in all of these races. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And then, you know, and, and I, I look at it as foundation. So I think once you have that foundation, then you can work on, like, doing more skill-specific training and learning to be stronger and grip strength here and there. But I feel like no matter how much you work on the other stuff, if your foundation is off, it it just makes everything harder. That's when dehydration and cramping and all that stuff starts to happen, you know, yeah. within mm-hmm, outside of the nutritional aspect. Exactly. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So let's get into a little bit of your, your training beliefs. And so we talk about running, Let, let's get into obstacles too, because obviously that, that is the fun part of this. And, and yes. we do need to, to train for these obstacles at some point. Yes. So let's assume we've built that running foundation and we're ready to tackle some obstacles or train for some obstacles. Now, most people, although gyms are popping up that that do have obstacles in them a lot of times people have you know a typical gym or maybe their backyard or their garage or something like that what do what do you teach your clients or maybe what are some tips that you would give somebody to help them train for obstacles without actually having them yes um lots of tips so i think um the what I really try to focus on with clients, and I also also have to constantly remind clients, so as coaches and trainers, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get them physically ready to be able to conquer an obstacle. Um, so we focus on the physicality of being ready for an obstacle. So coming from a track background and we're, and also coaching a little bit, I would say what I focus on a lot is at least my unique way of coaching is I focus a lot on measurables. So I'm like, so I try to find out, and especially with the Spartan SGX program, I'm like, okay, what does somebody need to be able to physically do in order to be able to um, um, do a rope climb or a wall climb? Um, so I'm like, okay, well, maybe they need to be able to jump. So then we work on plyometrics to see, okay, the fo- now the focus is on like, let's build explosiveness. And then we're like, okay, this person needs to be able to do a pull-up because if you jump, you need to some way, somehow be able to pull yourself up. So we then focus on like, okay, we're going to work on the plyometrics. We're going to work on the jump. And then we're going to work, okay, maybe now your goal is to be able to do a grip hold uh, on the pull-up bar for like two minutes. So I think once people focus on those elements, they'll be able to tackle the obstacles. And if it's hip mobility, then maybe we need to do more Spider-Man climbs um, and uh, something to loosen up your hips so you can bring your legs above you higher to be able to climb the walls. So I think training without obstacles is, I mean, I've trained hundreds of people to do obstacle cross races. And I think people, we focus on the fun, fundamental training of getting your body physically able, ready to be able to tackle those obstacles. That's, that's all. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, we, we tend to focus a little bit too much on the obstacles sometimes when we should take a step back and say, what does your body be, need to be able to do to complete an obstacle like this? Like, if you can jump and create power, you have a way easier time getting over a wall. So we know even if you've never had a wall to, to practice on, 
if you can jump high, that's at least a good start. And then, yeah, uh, and if you don't have the hip mobility to climb over a wall, you know, you can jump through the roof. But if that hips, if your hips can't move, you're going to have a hard time. So uh, I I love the fact that you're you're bringing up those points. So um, do you kind of take your clients through, like you said, you love um, measurables. So um, do you kind of have your standard test that you'll take people through? I know you mentioned jumping. Um, do you mm. do like a broad jump or do you do range of motion tests or just kind of like to pick your brain on, on some of your assessment tools that you might use to see, hey, we need to focus on these areas? Yes, we do, actually. So uh, when we start in a kind of a Spartan training program or when I'm advising people, we we typically do a mile fitness test. So that's like the first test is like, OK, mm-hmm. let's run a mile and let's see how fast you can run a mile. So if somebody ran 15 or 10 or 7, that lets us know that. Um, so we, I go through kind of the difference. We want to test power, endurance, speed endurance, um, flexibility, um, and then kind of mindset stuff. So we test the endurance that way. Speed endurance um, or any type of muscular endurance, we do the five-minute burpee test, okay. <laughs> the Piper yeah. yeah. Spartan. And then now we also do a pull-up test. I want to know how many pull-ups can someone do or, you know, can you do one? Can you do half? Can you, do you need resistance bands? And then we also do what we call a functional movement screening, um, which is more more on a technical standpoint, which kind of gets to see how people's hamstrings and stability and shoulder mobility and core strength is. Um, so those are the kind of the tests that we do. Now in our gym, we also have, different plyometric boxes so we want to know can you jump on a on a two feet one or a four foot one on a five foot one and then so they can kind of see their progress throughout all of that um so those are some of the measurables we use awesome awesome i, lo- I love you do the fms yeah i'm a big big fan yes. of that um huge huge fan yeah, yeah. so I, i'm curious uh you, you mentioned uh mental testing uh, and yeah. I, I could assume is that that five minute burpee test part of the mental or is there something else that you throw in there? Oh, yeah, we've done quite a few, um, you know, I, but I think definitely the five minute burpee is kind of uh, more of a mental, more of a mental test. But I think occasionally we do something um, I, I we do like training programs where and I forewarn them ahead of time, like, OK, you guys now you guys are Spartan training. So, for example, I might say, hey, guys, here's the plan for today. This is what we're doing. And then after everybody's physically, mentally done, then I'm like, oh, sorry, guys. Now we have to do this extra. We have to do this again one more time. Mm-hmm. And 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 now it's not so much the physical training is just more like when you've mentally checked out can you are you when you when you've mentally checked out or something happens are you able to refocus to get the tasks done so we do little trainings like that to see who's stronger who can handle it who's gonna whine who's gonna you know who's gonna just you know say all right this is part of the deal i gotta do it this is an obstacle in front of me. so yeah those type of things we do yeah, and that's that's perfect, and and I know uh, I'll do something similar, and a lot of times our, it's our clients thinking we're just being mean and trying to torture them, but it, it is a part of it. I love how you said it. We do check out sometimes. It's like, okay, last round, I'm going to just push it and be done with it, and then when you find out, oh, wait, that wasn't it, a lot of people will just say, I, I can't do anymore, and then you'll have the ones that yeah. totally can, and 
it's just like in a race where you kind of round that corner and you see the finish line and then all of a sudden the trail goes off into the woods again for another three miles and exactly. uh, it's, it's easy to check out and just give up but sometimes it you just have to dig down and, and push through it and, yeah and you know and it's again it's just kind of training for life training for whatever comes across your way especially kind of the penalties of 30 burpees is just more like okay fine you just ran five miles and after running five miles do you you know can you do 30 burpees? So maybe there's a rope climb at the end and you're not able to do it. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to be able to find that energy and mental capacity to be able to knock it out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, and I do love the, uh, well, not, I shouldn't say love, but that five minute burpee test is a, is a great, <laughs> great way to, to test yourself. And we'll challenge all of our listeners if you haven't done the five minute burpee test. So it's as easy as it sounds, just as many five, uh, burpees as you can do in five minutes. Uh, you know, when this is being released, we're, we're coming up on the end of the year. So, um, might be a great way to start off 2018 and, and kind of see where you're at. So, you know, uh, what 2018 is going to have in store for you. So I'll, I'll challenge you guys out there. If you want to take us up on, on five minutes of, of a little bit of pain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's well, awesome. So I, I know, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but, um, a couple things I, I always love asking our guests, uh, what is your favorite obstacle? Oh, huh. What is my favorite obstacle? Man, that's a great question. <laughs> or types what of obstacle. What obstacle do I really enjoy? Honestly, so anything that hanging, especially in the Spartan, I'm 6'4", so I'm a big guy. Mm -hmm. So it, it, anything hanging is always a challenge for me. Mm -hmm. I've gotten through a lot of them, and it's one of the most awesome feelings I can ever accomplish. thinking. <laughs> <laughs> But my favorite obstacle has to be, honestly, it has to be the wall climb. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. I just think there's something very interesting about it, especially the high ones. Yeah. <laughs> well, and at 6'4", and a high jumper, you can, uh, mm -hmm. you can plop right over those things. But Yes. <laughs> um, uh, all right. How about least favorite? Um, you know what? The least favorite would have to be the carries. Yeah. <laughs> I do not like the bucket carries. Yeah. I just I just don't like the bucket carries. But yeah. you know what? I think it's all about practicing it. Now I actually don't mind it as much. And mm -hmm. but again, that's part of like being prepared to do something. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I, I remember my first bucket carry still, like it was yesterday and how miserable <laughs> it was. And I, I bet if I were to look back at it now after actually training for it, it, it probably was a short one. The hills probably weren't even that bad and and right. then you get to um, the last race I did at Big Bear when there's two bucket carries and it's like, oh, but uh, oh, yeah, that's what that God. training does. You just get ready for Holy it. Crap. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. I actually haven't seen one with two bucket carries. That's yeah, not, not fun. But, you know, you just see it, you do it and, and move on to the yep. next one. So exactly. um, awesome. So one last question for you. Uh, what would be your one your one big advice for somebody who's thinking about running or just signed up for their first obstacle course race what what would you what would that one tip be oh let's see i would say if i was to give them if i was to give them one tip i, I would go back to i would say um mental training is more important um, I, I would say they should focus on being as mentally strong as possible. And I feel like that would help them with anything that they want to do. They certainly need to do a quick assessment 
of what their strengths and weaknesses are, and then try their best to be able to work on their weaknesses. So for some people, it's running, and then just focus more on running. Whatever you hate is probably more what you need to work on the most. So I would say that's my what one tip. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, kind of going back to your, your what you were talking about before with uh, getting used to being uncomfortable and, and find yeah. what uncomfortable means for you. Could be running, could be lifting, could be yeah. hanging. Yeah, perfect. But if you don't assess, you don't know. So that I'm always a big fan of that. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on today. Uh, before we sign off, uh, if our listeners want to reach out and get a hold of you, where would be some good places they can learn more about you? Yes, definitely. They can visit my website, uh, bioideo.com, B-A-Y-O-A-D-I-O.com, or they can add me on Facebook, Bioideo. Um, and I think, yeah, they'll be able to reach me there anytime. Awesome. And I'll, I'll put some links in our show notes so people can uh, can check it out there too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. It's been fun. All right, guys. Well, that's it for episode 45 of the OCR Underground Show. Don't forget, check out the show notes at www.ocrunderground.com slash episode 45. Uh, thanks for tuning in as always. And a big thanks to Coach Bayo for sharing his insights into training. Hopefully you guys got some great tips out of that. And then of course, uh, a special thanks to our show sponsors. Uh, first up, Designer Protein. If you guys want to check out some high quality protein, both plant-based and whey-based products, uh, go to designerprotein.com. Don't forget, use code SDPremier20. You can actually get 20% off your order. And then also, if you're looking for some high quality mobility tools, check out Mobilitas at your joints shouldn't hurt.com. All right, well, that's it for me. Good luck, everybody, racing this weekend. Hopefully, we are off to an awesome start to the OCR season, and we will see you next time.